May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I'm not sure what happened, but I've only blinked, I think, two times, and three years have gone by. It was on Trinity Sunday in 2010 that I was installed as the rector of this parish, and here we are at Trinity Sunday 2013, and I don't know what happened. It just went like that. Maybe for some of you, you say, no, it was a lot longer, you know, and, and for you, I have bad news. The next couple of decades are going to go painstakingly slow. Um, but it happened quick, didn't it? I just, you know... It was a lot like getting on an elevator. You know, you get on an elevator, you push a button, and just a couple seconds you step out, and the floor that you step out on looks a lot like the one you just got off of, but you know everything has changed. And I think that's the, the, the thing that happened, I realized with me this week, that, that three years have gone by and, and I'm changed. I'm not the same person, and you've changed. You're not the same people, and we've changed as a congregation. We're not the same. But there's a lot that's similar. There's a lot that, that is, is true and and the same. There are a lot of similarities, even though there are lots of differences. And I was thinking about the lessons of Trinity Sunday as I was reading through them and praying over them. Which one do I go to? And I, and I kept being drawn to this same thought. It's time to preach through the epistles, to hear the words of the apostles. Because you know, for the last three years, really four, because I traveled back and forth for a year, I mean, it's been almost all Old Testament and Gospel. And I don't apologize for that. I think it's important to hear that narrative of the story of salvation, but it hasn't been a lot from the apostles. And I thought, you know what, now is it. Now is the time. This is, this is what the Lord is calling us to, to go deeper into the text of Scripture. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to, we're going to spend some time with St. Paul and, and then eventually into the, the letter to the Hebrews and so on, hoping that you know, we dig down a little deeper in the Scriptures, dig down a little deeper in our minds, and hopefully into our souls as well. And I think as I was looking through this and this, first, this thought first came to my mind, I saw the passage from Romans chapter 5 today. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is one of the most seminal passages in the New Testament. This little passage of Scripture has done more to change the world perhaps than any other passage in Scripture. It has been a, um, it has been a watershed passage. Um, this passage, uh, written by St. Paul, changed the early church. It later was very formative in the life of St. Augustine of Hippo, and then later in the life of, a, um, of an Augustinian monk in Germany named Martin Luther. And Luther's use of this passage and his, uh, his awakening that happened when he came to this passage was really, uh, was really quite unique. Luther struggled with this struggle that many people have, which is this. How is it possible for one to be pleasing to God? He lived in medieval Europe. God was, a, um, God was somewhat of a bully in medieval Europe. He had these high moral demands and no one could ever please him. It was only possible to disappoint God. And, but, but Luther felt like there was this sense in which, which you could have peace with God. I don't know how, but it's out there. It's like a, like a carrot on a stick. You know, some way it's got to be possible. And so when no one tried harder than this 16th century Augustinian monk named Martin Luther, um, he, would, uh, he would go to confession so often that at one point his abbot actually said, do not come back here unless you have something interesting to confess. <laughs> what, a great, what a great line. Eh? Don't come back here unless you have... He punished his body physically, starved himself, beat himself with a whip. 
He, um, he eventually asked to do a pilgrimage to Rome. He wanted to, to, um, to crawl up the Scala Sanctum, these, um, these sacred steps that reportedly had been moved from, uh, from Jerusalem to Rome by St. Helena, and that if you climbed these stairs and kissed each one on your knees, that you received a plenary indulgence, and maybe he thought that would bring him peace with God. And so he walked from Germany to Rome, and he climbed these steps on his knees, and he got to the top, and there was still no peace in his heart. Luther, he was in this struggle, this struggle that many of us have. How does one find peace with God? How do you get to the place where you can sense that you're no longer at war with God? And he went back to Germany. And he was a university professor. He could read Greek and Hebrew. He went back and he started translating the book of Romans. And he got to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Will you take your bulletin with me and look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 1? The New Testament epistle lesson. And here are the words that Luther read, and they hit him like a bolt of lightning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Luther had read this chapter in, with the rest of it, and he knew that the first four chapters went like this. Every human born into this world is born with a bent towards sin. That's what Paul says for about four chapters in the book of Romans. Every single person born in this world is born with a nature that is contrary to God. And you know it. Even those precious little children, those sweet little babies, those little nieces and nephews, and I know, perish the thought, grandparents. Even those little sweet little grandchildren, right? Nobody has to teach them how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach them how to lie or how to steal, or how to keep stuff away from us. We do it naturally. That's Paul's point. He says, all of us are by nature children of wrath, he says in another place. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray, quoting Isaiah. Each of us has turned to his own ways. There is no good in us, no, not one. Paul's point in Romans chapter 1-4 through is this. There's a huge chasm between God and people. Huge chasm. And it cannot be crossed. And so two, he would not use this language, but two existential crises appear. The first one is, we know that we were made for God. And the second one is, is that we have been estranged from God. Paul's point, Luther's realization, and what every other person would know if they took a moment to be self-reflective on this thing is, that every one of us knows that we were made for God. And every one of us knows that we have been estranged from God. The question is, how do we bridge that gap? How do we get to the point where we have peace with God? The thing we need is righteousness. The thing that we have is sin. We have the absence of righteousness. How do we become righteous? And Paul answers that question. Therefore, having been justified, having been made righteous, that's what the word means, by faith. How? Because you worked really hard at it? Because you prayed the right number of prayers? Because you did the right number of things? Because you climbed the right steps and kissed the right ones? No! Because you exercise faith in Jesus Christ. That is what brings peace with God. That's what brings justification. And with justification comes peace with God. Notice the prepositions. 
Did you see them? By faith. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's intention here is to take us to the cross. In our minds to go to the cross. Because it is the cross of Christ that bridges the gap between humans and God. It is the thing that that bridges that existential gap. How can we have peace with God? One way. By faith. And is this faith not just a moment? You know, it'd be one thing if God said, okay, well, you know, you got to pass. <laughs> but that's it. Now, stand up and, and be right. And if you don't, you're back out again. That's not what he says, right? Through him, that is Jesus, verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith, look at this, into this grace in which we stand. Not only does the cross of Christ bring us into the presence of God, it also keeps us in the presence of God. It's not just enough that, oh, we've, we've, we've crossed this divide because we have the same problem inside that caused us to be separated from God in the first place. The thing that estranged us from God has not been changed. We are the same people. But it is by the grace of God, by the grace of Christ, that we can stand in this. Paul's point is this. There's a bridge A bridge from humanity's sinfulness to God's righteousness. And the only way to cross that is through paying the fare. And what is the fare? Faith in Jesus Christ. And that alone, faith in Jesus Christ and that alone is the only thing that moves us from sin to righteousness. And it's the only thing that keeps us in that righteousness. But listen, this is all about what God does for us. It's all about God's um, His action on our behalf through Jesus Christ. But there's more. Verse 5. Look at the very last verse in this passage. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now this really deserves a much better, a much longer, more detailed exegesis than I have time to give to us right here. But notice, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And there's an action that takes place. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, God has poured His love into our hearts. It's a metaphor, really, isn't it? Pouring. I want you to imagine that I have up here an empty glass and a pitcher filled with lemonade, right? And I take this glass, this pitcher full of lemonade, which contains more than the glass can hold, right? And I pour it till it's all the way to the top. And now you're saying, no, don't move, don't shake, it'll spill, right? But then I take it and I pour more. What's going to happen? It just comes flowing over the top, right? This is the, this is the word. Paul's word is what's called a perfect passive in Greek. It means something that has happened and something that is ongoing. God has poured the Holy Spirit into our hearts and He keeps on pouring. Why? So that what comes out... Is what's being poured in. What's going to make the difference in how we live? What's going to make the difference in how we order our lives and how we become different human beings? Only one thing, the Holy Spirit poured into our lives. Suppose um, suppose you invited me as a guest to a club that you were a member of. I don't know, whatever it is. You're, you're at some club and you say, hey Joe, come on, let's go. And so we go to your club. I get to get in only because I'm with you, right? I'm your guest. And so being your guest gives me admission into the club. 
That's what Jesus does. He brings us to the Father. Faith in Jesus brings us into the presence of God and makes us have peace with God. But the Holy Spirit makes us members. He changes us from being the persons that we were to being the persons that God has made us to be. He transforms us qualitatively different human beings. I said earlier that I think every person born in this world has this same internal angst. We try to cover it up. We try to change it. Sometimes we try to deny it. We do all the things we can to to make it go away. But the fact is we cannot get away from the realization deep down in the core of our being that each one of us was made for God. And the second thing is, is that we have been estranged from God. These two realizations are at the core, I think, of every human being. We were made for God, and we have been estranged from God, and we spend a lifetime trying to bridge that gap. We try to rid ourselves, we try to try to get rid of that vacuum, stuff everything that we can in it, and it doesn't work. Only one thing works faith in Jesus Christ. And Luther's words were sola fide. Faith alone, nothing else. Because the moment you add something else to that faith, it's a matter of us working our way back into God's good graces. Working harder to do, to fill, and to make ourselves something that we are not. But if we trust only in the work of Christ, and our faith is in the cross of Christ, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, He brings us in. And gives us the Holy Spirit. And begins to transform us and make us qualitatively different human beings. I know you're not going to believe this, but um, when I was in the fifth grade, I did a horrible thing. One time in the fifth grade. <laughs> I did a horrible thing. And it began one night, innocently, I went to the little convenience store and I bought Bazooka Joe bubblegum. Have you ever seen that little Bazooka Joe bubblegum with the little comic strip inside of it? Yeah, so they were like a nickel or something like that. And I bought a several pieces of it and I you know, took it and, and I thought to myself, this will be great on recess tomorrow, you know. And so I, I took a few pieces to school. You weren't allowed to chew gum in those days in the school. I don't know if you can now. But I, I took a few pieces uh, to school. And um, during math, I, I popped one into my uh, mouth thinking I can probably get away with this while I'm doing my math homework. But apparently I was chawing really hard. And the, and the teacher noticed. I have since removed her name from my brain because she was a very pleasant person. But um, she calls me to the desk and she says to me, do you have gum in your mouth? Yes, ma'am. Spit it out. So I did. She said, do you have any more? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Give it to me. So I reached into my pocket, and I had two pieces of Bazooka Joe. I was going to share one with my buddy John at recess. I'd already told him about it. And here I am handing it over to this mean teacher, and I give it to her. She puts it in her desk drawer. She closes the desk, and she says, you'll get it back at the end of the day. And so I went back to my math homework, and John and I lamented our, you know, our suffering here. And, and then at recess bell, everybody got to leave, and John says to me, Psst, come here. Yeah? He said, you know, that old bag will forget all about that gum being in her desk. Why don't we just sneak it out right now, and we can have it at recess? It made perfect sense, you know. Um, at the time, it sounded like a really good idea. And so... Uh, everybody else left out, and, um, and I snuck over to her desk, opened the desk drawer, pulled out the two pieces of gum, closed it, stuck it in my pocket, went out, laughed at the comic. It was a great fortune. You know, chewed that gum, was enjoying it, and forgot all about She didn't forget, turns out. Um, I came back into class later that afternoon, and she says to me, Joe, come here. I went to the desk. She said, 
Did you take that gum out of my desk? Yes, ma'am, I did. Um, did John have anything to do with it? I don't know how she knew. Did John have anything to do with it? Yes, ma'am, he did. Both of you to the principal's office. So we go down to the principal's office, and, and there we, you know, I, I sit out. John has to go in first, and I'm sitting out. I hear talking going on, and then I heard this sound. It went like, whoosh, and right at the end of the whoosh, crack. And I thought to myself, what in the world was that? And then it repeated, whoosh, crack. And there was a little yelp come out right after that, too. And I was terrified. The door opens. John comes out, all red-faced, tears in his eyes. Mr. Boisel, do you want to come with me? So I think it was the first time anybody ever called me Mr. Boisel. And, um, and, and so I got up and, and I walked into the principal's office. I've also expunged his name from my memory, by the way. Um, and, and he talks about something or another. And I found out what the whoosh and snap came from, okay? Turns out you had to put your hands on the desk, and, and he had this paddle, and he comes up behind, whoosh, crack. Only this time there was another noise, you know? And it was followed by this burning sensation on my posterior. And I was, you know, notably upset and in pain. He opens the door, and I go back to my class. I sit down at my desk. And shame kind of covered over top of me. You know that feeling. Shame was all over me, and I, I knew that even if, you know, nobody else knew what had happened, I knew what had happened. And you would think that I had paid the price. You know, I'd done the crime, I'd paid the time, and everything should be good in the world. But it wasn't. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't undo the wrongness that I had done simply by paying some penalty. I couldn't fix what was going on inside of me just because I was hurting on the outside of me. What can bring us to peace with God? What can bridge the existential gap that we have? One thing, faith in Jesus Christ alone. What can make me into a different kind of person, a kind of person who doesn't want internally to do the things outwardly that I want to do? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn called Over a Thousand Tongues on the, the anniversary of his conversion. And in it he says, um, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. See, I know that Christ can make the phallus clean because he did it for me. Let me tell you, stealing gum out of my fifth grade teacher's desk was not the worst thing I've ever done. I like what Anne Lamont says. She says, I have thought thoughts so horrible that I can't speak them out loud because it would make Jesus want to drink gin straight out of the cat dish. You know, every one of us has been in that place. What can make the phallus clean? Nothing but faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.